Let me let me say this to the oil and gas companies and to the finance firms that back them. We understand Putin's war against the people of Ukraine is causing prices to rise. We get that. That's self-evident. But, 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 but. Well, Joe Biden certainly has a big butt. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also up in uh, in California, up in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites except for Spotify. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another edition of the Bradcast. It's like democracy now. (laughs) Except with jokes. Glad you could join us today. Uh, oh, here's one. We no longer serve Russian dressing in our house, Desi Doyen. Did you know that? No. Yeah. What do you serve instead? Uh, freedom dressing. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, as has been... I didn't say they were good jokes. I just... <laughs> anyway, uh, as has, has been the case uh, in many of the major wars over the past century or so, oil and gas has once again today come to the very center of the war raging unspeakably and horrifically out of control right now in Ukraine. Uh, We cover just some of the oil and gas related news in that regard in today's Green News Report with Desi Doyen a little bit later on. Yep. Uh, But since we recorded our, a lot has happened today. Since we recorded our latest GNR, we have been overtaken by several new oil and gas related events and announcements uh, several times, actually, over the past few hours, which I want to try to catch you up on today since... Des uh, just just couldn't handle it, apparently, <laughs> with the Green News Let report. me just say that I yeah. am glad to hear some of these uh, developments. Yeah, they are, uh, I think, good news. We've also got a bit of domestic accountability news, definitely good news, uh, which even involve uh, a few previous broadcast guests. 
We'll uh, look forward to getting to that today as well, if the gods of the radio clock are with us. But let's start here. I mentioned in passing on yesterday's broadcast that energy giant Shell Oil, after making a big announcement uh, was it a week or so ago following ini- uh, Russia's initial attack on Ukraine that they were going to pull out from partnership projects with Russia? They got a lot of great publicity for that. Well, then they were caught buying cheap Russian oil recently. Seriously cheap. And uh, and today, well, now that they've got caught, they're really, really sorry and will never, ever do it again. Global energy giant Shell apologized on Tuesday for purchases of Russian petroleum products and agreed to phase out all involvement with the country's oil and gas industry, even though that's what we thought they were doing in the first place. Shell made headlines last week when it continued to purchase Russian oil despite the invasion and various global sanctions. Ukraine's foreign minister asked the company if it smelled, quote, like Ukrainian blood. On Tuesday, the oil giant facing worldwide opprobrium seemed to say, yeah, yeah, we we suppose it does smell a, a bit like Ukrainian blood. And then they announced that they would halt Russian crude purchases and shutter operations in the country, a move which could cut Russia off from a major international customer. You know, the very thing that Shell hoped the world had believed about them after their initial announcement that they were pulling out of Russian gas and oil projects until they got caught apparently doing the exact opposite. Shell's chief executive, Ben Van Buren apologized for last week's crude purchases and said that any profits would be donated to provide humanitarian support during the Ukraine crisis. How thoughtful of him. In a statement, Van Buren said, quote, we are acutely aware that our decision last week to purchase a cargo of Russian crude oil to be refined into products like petrol and diesel was not the right one. And we are sorry. Sorry that they got caught, I suspect. He pledged to, quote, commit profits from the limited remaining amounts of Russian oil we will process to a dedicated fund and promise to aid humanitarian agencies over the coming weeks. Van Buren said there were, quote, incredibly difficult trade-offs that must be made during the war in Ukraine. Like, hey, should we raise our prices on consumers and buy really cheap oil on the black market to double the amount that we are screwing over the public, even as we even as the money that we give to Russia will help them kill more Ukrainians, even as we help destroy human civilization itself with our product? You know, incredibly difficult trade offs that must be made during a time of war. Well done, Shell. The actions deepen a global private sector embargo that has isolated Russia's economy over the past week. Russia's petroleum exports have diminished since it launched its attack of uh, neighboring Ukraine just under two weeks ago. According to The Washington Post, Shell has already suspended its operations there. At least, you know, they say they have. The Washington Post uh, reports it as such, along with ExxonMobil and BP, who also claim to have done the same. Should we trust them as well? They've always done the right thing in the past. BP also said it would not enter into any 
new contracts for Russian oil and gas and that it would not charter vessels owned, operated or flagged by Russia. French energy giant Total Energies also walked a fine line saying that they would halt new spending in Russia but maintain their partnership there, including a nearly 20% stake in Russian gas producer Novatech. Hey, Total, does it smell like Ukrainian blood? Total Energy's chief executive, Patrick Puyane, said at an energy industry conference on Monday that his company would not renounce its Russian connections, noting that European governments had not directed it to do so. Which should serve as a reminder to all of us, private companies do not do the right thing unless they are instructed, actually forced to do so by government regulation. Poyane said, quote, I had discussions, obviously, with the highest authority in my country, and there is no push from them for us to exit Russia, he said, according to Reuters, which should serve as a reminder to all of us that governments do not do the right thing unless they are instructed and actually forced to do so by the public. Now, the good news is that all of that pressure on all points does appear to be paying off. The European Commission on Tuesday announced that they, in fact, will be weaning off of Russian natural gas and pledged to do so by two-thirds by the end of this year. That is no small feat since Europe, at least right now, gets about 45 percent of its gas from Russia. Here was Franz Timmermans, vice president of the European Commission, making the announcement at a press conference in Brussels on Tuesday. By the end of this year, we can replace 100 BCM of gas imports from Russia. That is two-thirds of what we import from them. This will end our over-dependency and give us much-needed room to maneuver. It's hard, bloody hard, but it's possible if we're willing to go further and faster than we've done before. Bloody hard, but it's possible. Yes, it is. And it's been long time coming, and they're finally getting around to actually doing it. U.S. officials, meanwhile, have been looking for ways to take the pressure off of global energy markets and ease the pain of rising prof prices and or profiteering by energy companies for consumers. Analysts warn, however, there is no supplier that could easily supplant Russia quickly, given that they are the world's third largest fossil fuel producer. Oil prices hit their highest point in over a decade on Monday, as Western sanctions lasered in on Russia's energy industry. As we noted last week, however, in one of our Green News reports, new polling from Reuters Ipsos following the Russian attack on Ukraine suggests that Americans at least are willing to pay more for energy, if necessary, in order to help Ukraine. As Reuters reported, a majority of respondents, 58 percent, said that paying more for fuel and gas because of the crisis was worthwhile to defend another democratic country. That was up almost 10 points from a poll that was taken just one week earlier in the days just before Russia's assault on its neighbor. Even uh, just before the attack on Ukraine was launched, as CNN noted, new polling from the Pew Research Center found that Americans wanted the U.S. to prioritize clean, renewable energy over deadly fossil fuels. 
The Pew results show a huge majority, 69% of American adults, favor developing alternative energy, including wind and solar, over increasing production of fossil fuels like oil, coal, and natural gas. It also found that same huge majority, 69% again of Americans, want the U.S. to take steps to become carbon neutral by 2050, as President Joe Biden has been seeking to do. In other words, net zero greenhouse gas emissions by mid-century. The Republican News Network, however, Fox News, uh, you'll be shocked to learn, has, has not gotten that message for some reason. One of their dumb White House correspondents has been pressing White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki for answers as to why Joe Biden was not expanding oil and gas drilling leases and permits on public lands here in the U.S. She told him that the industry already had thousands of permits on millions of acres of land that they were already not using and so he should go back and ask his friends in the oil and gas industry why that is. Well, apparently he says he did, and he came back to Saki the next day with the same question on Friday. Here's how that went for him. Uh, so yesterday you said, you know, less oil supply, you said it again today, um, yeah. uh, it raises prices. And you said, ask the, um, so I asked the American Petroleum Institute about those 9,000 leases. Yeah. Which you've been talking about. The president and CEO of that group says that a lot of policies that have been put in place by this administration, including a ban on new development of federal lands and federal waters, is really hindering American energy development during a critical time. Also, he says, the royalty fees increasing on drilling uh, discourages investment. So are there any plans to reverse any of these policies? to encourage investment. I think he may have avoided your question. I mean, because the fact is that onshore alone, as of the start of this year, the industry had more than 9,000 unused approved permits to drill in the United States. I, don't, I didn't hear him speak to that in particular. And of the more than 37 million acres under lease offshore and onshore to the oil and gas industry, nearly 60% are currently non-producing. Now, obviously, our view on drilling over the long term is different, I would suspect, than the person you spoke to, which is that what overall we need to do here is reduce our dependence on oil. Europeans are doing that, we're doing that, and I think what we're all going through now in this discussion of banning oil imports and the volatility in the global markets, oil markets, is a reminder of that. So, but there's no shortage of drilling leases that can be used domestically to enhance production in this moment. They, the oil and gas industry is literally sitting on stockpiled leases and permits. Thanks, everyone. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye. Could someone please scrape up that Fox News reporter who I just murdered in cold blood on the floor? Yeah, I saw somebody on Twitter say, gosh, it's a wonder that Saki stays so slim when she eats Fox News reporters for brunch every day. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I have a feeling they did not play that clip much over on Fox no. uh, after that poor reporter spent so much time. You know, reading his text messages from his real bosses at the American Petroleum Institute, after all, the ones who just couldn't answer his question that uh, Saki tried to get him to answer. But yeah, and if you want to see a clown show every single day, watch how Peter Ducey, son of Steve Ducey on yeah. Fox News, how every yeah. single day he beclowns himself and gets, again, wiped off the floor he does. by Saki. He does, but this guy, this was a different one. This, this was, was a different apparently guy. Apparently they have backup idiots to take yes. uh, Steve Ducey's place. Yeah, they do. So, Shell is very sorry. 
The EU is cutting back by two-thirds on Russian imports by the end of the year. Fox News is, well, Fox News. And the U.S., according to President Biden on Tuesday, uh, is going much further than all of them. During remarks at the White House, the president offered an update on his efforts to work with both Ukrainian President Zelensky and EU nations to send both defensive weaponry and humanitarian assistance to Ukraine and to its two million refugees at this point. He noted the sanctions the world has put in place have already caused the Russian economy to crater, in his words, with uh, one Russian ruble now worth less than one single penny, and that a host of major companies, including Visa, MasterCard, American Express, have suspended services in Russia, also Ford, Nike, Apple, and I would note, according to reports late on Tuesday, McDonald's, Starbucks, Coca-Cola, and yes, minutes later, Pepsi, uh, finally, have all now uh, claimed that they are, well, in, in the case of McDonald's, Starbucks, Coca-Cola, and Pepsi, that they are pausing their business uh, in Russia. But... As President Biden noted, uh, this was all not without costs here at home. The focus of Biden's remarks was on his announcement that all U.S. oil and gas imports from Russia to the U.S. would be cut off immediately. Today, I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. This is a move that has strong bipartisan support in the Congress and I believe in the country. Americans have rallied support, have rallied to support their Ukrainian people and made it clear we will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war. This made, we made this decision in close consultation with our allies and our partners around the world, particularly in Europe, because a united response to Putin's aggression has been my overriding focus to keep all NATO and all of the EU and our allies totally united. We're moving forward with this ban, understanding that many of our European allies and partners may not be in a position to join us. The United States produces far more oil domestically than all, of European, all the European countries combined. In fact, we're a net exporter of energy. So we can take this step when others cannot, but we're working closely with Europe and our partners to develop a long-term strategy to reduce their dependence on Russian energy as well. Our teams are actively discussing how to make this happen, and today we remain united, we remain united in our purpose to keep pressure mounting on Putin and his war machine. This is a step that we're taking to inflict further pain on Putin. But there will be cost as well here in the United States. I said I would level with the American people from the beginning. And when I first spoke to this, I said defending freedom is going to cost. It's going to cost us as well in the United States. Republicans and Democrats understand alike understand that. Republicans and Democrats alike have been clear that we must do this. The decision today is not without cost here at home. Putin's war is already hurting American families at the gas pump. Since Putin began his military buildup on Ukrainian borders, just since then, the price of the gas at the pump in America went up 75 cents. And with this action, it's going to go up further. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's price hike here at home. 
In coordination with our partners, we've already announced that we're releasing 60 million barrels of oil from our joint oil reserves. Half of that, 30 billion, million, excuse me, is coming from the United States. And we're taking steps to ensure the reliable supply of global energy. We're also going to keep working with every tool at our disposal to protect American families and businesses. Let me, let me say this. To the oil and gas companies and to the finance firms that back them, we understand Putin's war against the people of Ukraine is causing prices to rise. We get that. That's self-evident. But, 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 it's no excuse to exercise excessive price increases or padding profits or any kind of effort to exploit this situation or, Amer or American uh, consumers. Exploit them. Russia's aggression is costing us all, and it's no time for profiteering or price gouging. I want to be clear about what we'll not tolerate, but I also want to acknowledge those firms and oil and gas industries that are pulling out of Russia and joining other businesses that are leading by example. This is the time when we have to do our part and make sure we're not taking, we're not taking advantage. Look, let me be clear about uh, two other points. First. It's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. That is simply not true. Even amid the pandemic, companies in the United States pumped more oil during my first year in office than they did during my predecessor's first year. We're approaching a record levels of oil and gas production in the United States, and we're on track to set a record of oil production next year. In the United States, 90 percent of onshore oil production takes place on land that isn't owned by the federal government. And of the remaining 10% that occurs on federal land, the oil and gas industry has millions of acres leased. They have 9,000 permits to drill now. They could be drilling right now, yesterday, last week, last year. They have 9,000 to drill onshore that are already approved. So let me be clear, let me be clear. They are not using them for production now. That's their decision. These are the facts. We should be honest about the facts. Second, this crisis is a stark reminder. To protect our economy over the long term, we need to become energy independent. I've had numerous conversations over the last three months with our European friends of how they have to be wean themselves off of Russian oil. It's just not, it's just not tenable. It should motivate us to accelerate the transition to clean energy. This is a perspective that our European allies share and the future where together we can achieve greater independence. Loosening environmental regulations or pulling back clean energy investment won't, let me explain, won't, will not lower energy prices for families. But transforming our economy to run on electric vehicles powered by clean energy with tax credits to help American families winterize their homes and use less energy, that will, that will help. And if we can, if we do what we can, it will mean that no one has to worry about the price of the gas pump in the future. That'll mean tyrants like Putin won't be able to use fossil fuels as weapons against other nations. And it will make America a world leader, manufacturing and exporting clean energy technologies of the future to countries all around the world. This is the goal we should be racing toward. Over the last two weeks, Ukrainian people have inspired the world, and I mean that in a literal sense. They've inspired the world with their bravery, their patriotism, their defiant determination to live free. Putin's war, Putin's war 
has caused enormous suffering and needless loss of life from women, children, everyone in Ukraine. Both Ukraine and, I might add, Russians. Ukrainian leaders, as well as leaders around the world, have repeatedly called for a ceasefire, for humanitarian relief, for real diplomacy. But Putin seems determined to continue on his murderous path, no matter the cost. Putin's now targeting cities and has been targeting cities and civilians, schools, hospitals, apartment buildings. Last week, he attacked the largest nuclear power plant in Europe with an apparent disregard for the potential of triggering a nuclear meltdown. He has already turned two million Ukrainians into refugees. Russia may continue to grind out its advance at a horrible price, but this much is already clear. Ukraine will never be a victory for Putin. Putin may be able to take a city, but he'll never be able to hold the country. And if we do not respond to Putin's assault on global peace and stability today, the cost of freedom and to the American people will be even greater tomorrow. So we're going to continue to support the brave Ukrainian people as they fight for their country. And I call on Congress to pass the $12 billion Ukraine assistance package that I have asked them for uh, of late. Ukrainian people are demonstrating by their physical courage that they are not about to just let Putin take what he wants. That's clear. They'll defend their freedom, their democracy, their lives. And we're going to keep providing security assistance, economic assistance, and humanitarian assistance. We're going to support them against tyranny, oppression, violent acts of subjugation. People everywhere, and I, I think it's maybe even surprised some of you all, people everywhere are speaking up for freedom. And when the history of this war is written, Putin's war on Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. And God bless all those heroes in Ukraine. And now I'm off to Texas. Thank you very, very much. I know there's a lot of questions. I know, I know there's a lot of questions, but there's a lot more that has to be made clear. And I'm going to hold on that until we get more information. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was President Biden speaking at the White House on Tuesday, announcing that the U.S. would stop all imports of oil and gas from Russia following the EU's commitment earlier in the day to wean off of same by uh, two thirds by year's end. So, again, uh, he noted, as Jen Psaki did on Friday, 9000 drilling permits that the U.S. oil and gas industry are not using. They have them, but they're not using them on public lands alone, which only account for about 10 percent of their total drilling. Even while the industry's GOP tools are bitching every day on Fox News that Joe Biden's policies are increasing gas prices, holding them back and, and, and raising the cost of gas at the pump for everyone. Lies, lies, and more lies. But there are real things that we can do to both lower energy costs right now during this time of war and, as it turns out, help save the planet at the very same time. Uh, that, according to uh, the International Energy Agency, the IEA, on Monday, uh, finding that Europe can do uh, certain things to cut its reliance on Russian imports by a third by year's end. Uh, but some of these things are also things that the U.S. can do to uh, help as well. No, Desi Doyle? Indeed they can. It's basically based on demand destruction. And the important thing about the IEA's 10-point strategy is that it is 
consistent with the European Green Deal, which means it supports energy security and affordability, but does not support new fossil fuel development. So uh, one of the first things they say is, I think this is the easiest one, do not sign any new gas supply contracts with Russia. <laughs> Good idea. That's a start. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it goes from there to replace Russian supplies with gas from other sources okay. and increase, so you increase your non-Russian gas suppliers mm-hmm. in the near term, introduce minimum gas storage requirements to so they can build resistance for next winter into the gas system. So they have supply on hand. Mm-hmm. Accelerate the deployment of new wind and solar projects. That will, of course, in turn reduce gas use by a huge amount each year. Maximize power generation from bioenergy, like methane capture, and nuclear. And uh, that part it continue, includes considering postponing decommissioning of nuclear power plants mm. uh, until fossil fuels are phased out first. Mm-hmm. Uh, then enact short-term tax measures on windfall profits of fossil fuel companies to encourage them to not price gouge oh. customers. Oh, there's an idea. Yeah. Speed up the replacement of gas-fired boilers with electric heat pumps. Now, these are next-generation heat pumps that work really, really well mm-hmm. in cold climates. Uh, Norway leads the world in uh, installation of 96% of new heating systems in Norway last year mm-hmm. were electric heat pumps. And, and that's a big deal, replacing all of those... Uh, natural gas and oil boilers with electric heat pumps that could save alone uh, a a, a huge amount of money and by the way uh, I've seen uh, I think it was Bill McKibben reported that uh, Joe Biden should use the um, the lend lease program that was a big deal in uh, World War II use that along with the Defense Production Act to ramp up a US based domestic manufacturing supply chain to first supply Europe and then build the domestic supply chain to then supply the US build those heat pumps send them all to Europe like we did in World War II a yeah. huge jobs generator. Mm-hmm. So then it goes on to accelerate energy efficiency improvements in buildings, homes, and industry with funding from the government to do so. Step up efforts to diversify and decarbonize sources of power, including electric power, so that they can interconnect the European Union grid mm-hmm. so that countries can help each other. And then finally, conservation by encouraging European consumers to use less, like lowering their thermostats. All of this should be done anyway. Obviously, uh, if we're going to, uh, you know, ever mitigate uh, our climate crisis. But uh, now more than ever, we see why this needs to be done sooner rather than later. And also, I would add this for all Americans. Remember how nice it was when the skies cleared and we got to see stuff way in the distance that we never got to see before during the pandemic lockdown? One of the few nice things about the lockdowns, the skies cleared up because people weren't driving to work. They were staying home to work. And when so little gas was being used during those lockdowns that the price of of gas had literally gone negative, oil companies were paying people literally to take oil off their hands well we already know how to do that we have been doing that for the past two years two and a half years at this point if you don't have to drive to work at the office don't do it work at home right now don't use the gas not right now stay home help save the world okay Let's take a quick break and we will move away from, uh, well, mostly move away from (laughs) Russia and Ukraine uh, for a bunch of uh, encouraging accountability stuff. 
over the past 24 hours or so as the fight continues to save democracy here at home in our country, which, as you will learn, may also help explain why we have so few right-wingers on this program. I will explain after this as the hammer continues to come down, at least on a few more right-wing insurrectionists and election fraudsters. That's all straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, so sad. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So one of the reasons that we don't have many right-winger guests on this show is because, A, well, almost all of them now are just liars, and I don't feel like privileging their lie by offering my limited airtime for them to offer it, even if I'm to respond to it. Uh, you know, yeah, it's just kind of a waste of time and it spreads disinformation. Yeah, it's Chuck Todd's job at NBC. I'd hate <laughs> to take that away from him. Uh, and B, so many of them apparently that I have had on the show are now either in jail or indicted or both. So some accountability news along those lines today. Let's start here. The first trial in the January 6th Capitol breach ended with a guilty verdict on all counts a victory for federal prosecutors handling one of the largest investigations in U.S. history. Guy Refit or Refit, I don't know. Guy Refit was found guilty of five felonies, obstruction of an official proceeding, interfering with police in a riot, transporting a firearm for that purpose, armed trespassing and witness tampering. That witness tampering charge had to do with threatening his own two uh, teenage children. Mm if they reported him to law enforcement after the attack. Refit's 19-year-old son, Jackson, testified during the trial uh, last week that his father threatened him and his sister, who was then 16 years old, after he drove home to Texas from the riot in D.C. Refit told his children that they would be traitors if they reported him to authorities and said, quote, traitors get shot. That's what his son testified. He said that uh, that threat terrified him and his son used a cell phone app to secretly record his father boasting about his role in the riot. Jurors heard excerpts of that family conversation. They deliberated about three hours and convicted him on all counts. Refit had traveled to D.C. from his home in Wiley, Texas, one of your people, Desi. I know. Uh, with Sad. An, with an AR-15 style rifle and semi-automatic handgun. Oh, definitely your people. <laughs> uh, he went to the Capitol in what he called, quote, full battle rattle, including a handgun, a helmet, body armor, ra- radio, flex cuffs, 
according to government witnesses and evidence. Uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Risa Burkauer told a jury of six men and women and six women uh, in closing arguments on Monday that, quote, on January 6, 2021, Guy Reffitt challenged the police at the head of a vigilante mob determined to break into the U.S. Capitol. He did this because he wanted to take out Congress and an angry, energized crowd gave him his best shot. In conversations recorded before and after the riot played for the jury, Refit said he was ready to overthrow, quote, constitutionally corrupt lawmakers. He said, I'm taking the Capitol with everyone else. I think we have the numbers to make it happen. Uh, this was in a allegedly self-recorded video at a Trump-led uh, Trump rally uh, at the Ellipse prior to the attack. Referring to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the defendant said in several expletive-laden variations that the group would drag lawmakers, quote, out kicking and screaming, and he wanted to see her head hit every stair on the way down. Hell of a guy. Uh, he later told uh, fellow three percenters, he's uh, that's one of the major militia movements, along with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, who appear to have coordinated in some fashion to attack the uh, Capitol on January 6th. He told them in a Zoom call that was played in court that police, quote, stopped me, but fired up the but he fired up the crowd. They couldn't be stopped after that. We all had weapons, but never fired a single round. He also showed his family video of his actions at the Capitol because he's a dumbass, bragging in a conversation that was recorded by his son saying, quote, I did bring a weapon on property we own, federal property. This gun right here was loaded, he said. Uh, his defense attorney uh, argued that uh, despite his rough words, Refit did not enter the Capitol, commit any violence or damage any property, maybe because he was eventually sprayed with uh, by, with chemical spray by police. He said Guy Refit never put his hands on anyone, never threw anything at anyone, never hit anyone with anyone. He did not help assault any officers or impede any arrest. According to the defense, Guy Refit exaggerated his attorney told jurors a lot. Well, the jury didn't care. They convicted him on all counts anyway. This verdict, according to uh, as AP observes, could be a bellwether for many other capital riot cases as the first one to actually go to trial and to see the defendant lose on all counts. It could give the uh, Justice Department prosecutors more leverage in plea negotiations uh, with others and discourage other defendants from gambling on trials of their own. Outside of uh, outside of the court, uh, his wife, Nicole, said that the verdict was, quote, against all American people. You're going to be convicted on your First Amendment rights. This fight has just begun, she said. So hopefully has the fight by the Department of Justice as they work their way through hundreds of these cases up through the insurrectionist ranks and hopefully to the folks who actually caused the insurrection in the first place. Remember, a bipartisan majority vote in the U.S. Senate at the end of Donald Trump's second impeachment trial already voted 57 to 43 that, yes, Donald Trump incited that January 6th 
insurrection. So it was an insurrection and it was incited by Donald Trump, according to a majority of the U.S. Senate. So as we work our way there, 11 of the top Oath Keeper clowns have already been charged with seditious conspiracy, including the group's leader, Stuart Rhodes, who appeared as a guest on this program some years ago, back, I think, before he became completely insane. He was maybe on his way there. I, was, I could be wrong. Yeah, he might have already been insane. So that's the Oath Keepers. Now it's the Proud Boys, Enrique Tario a leader of the right-wing street gang Proud Boys, has now also been indicted by a federal grand jury on January 6th related conspiracy charges. The indictment alleged that in December 2020, Tario and others in the Proud Boys created what the group referred to as a Ministry of Self-Defense, which sounds very Soviet doesn't it? And and that this group took part in the Capitol attack. Terrio himself was not near the Capitol on January 6th because he was uh, fighting some other legal problems. He had apparently uh, during a, a demonstration burned a uh, took a Black Lives Matter sign off a church and burned it. Nonetheless, even though he wasn't even near the Capitol, he was charged anyway, which should be good news to anyone who believes that one did not have to be at the Capitol in order to be held accountable for a seditious conspiracy to attack the Capitol. Am I right, former guy? The indictment charges Terrio with conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an official proceeding, civil disorder, destruction of government property, and assaulting, resisting, or impeding certain officers. According to the indictment, the planning for the uh, for uh, January 6th crystallized in late December. On December 30, an unnamed person, <clears throat> though one that, uh, quote, is known to the grand jury according to the indictment, sent Tario a nine-page document called 1776 Returns. That document laid out a plan to occupy, quote, crucial buildings, including the House and Senate office buildings and other buildings around the Capitol. Uh, the revolution is important than anything, the unnamed individual allegedly said in this poorly worded message to Tario who then responded, according to the indictment, quote, that's what every waking moment consists of. On January 2, Terrio allegedly created an encrypted message group for members of the ministry that included at least 65 members, including several who were later charged with attacking the Capitol. The chat allegedly grew more specific over the next couple of days, members discussing what would happen if, quote, one million patriots stormed and took the Capitol building and referred to the House of Representatives as, quote, the main operating theater. The others named in the indictment announced on Tuesday were all members of the Proud Boys who had been previously charged with attacking the Capitol on January 6. They now have conspiracy charges added to their previous uh, previous ones to which they have all pleaded not guilty. Terrio also allegedly met with the Oath Keepers leader. That would be Stuart Rhodes and others at an underground parking garage in D.C. ahead of the attack. That encounter lasted around 30 minutes, according to the indictment. What they spoke about, I guess we don't yet know. 
Baterio has a long legal history going back more than a decade when his own attorney referred to him as, quote, uh, as a, quote, prolific law enforcement cooperator. So will he turn out to be a cooperator to spill the beans on everyone else, including what they discussed in that parking garage? Stay tuned. Finally, Here's one that has not received much attention at all, perhaps because it has to do not with 2020, but with the 2016 election. But it should receive some attention, as you will see. And yes, it includes the indictment of yet another broadcast guest, <laughs> Desi Doyen, a former campaign staffer for U.S. Senator Rand Paul has been charged with channeling money from Russia into the 2016 presidential election, according to the Department of Justice on Monday. In an unsealed indictment that was dated September 9, prosecutors allege Jesse Benton, quote, conspired to illegally funnel thousands of dollars of foreign money from a Russian foreign national into the campaign. If that name, Jesse Benton, sounds familiar, well, you'll see why in a moment. Uh, in October of 2016, according to the indictment, Benton received a $100,000 wire transfer from an unnamed Russian national, according to the indictment, promising the Russian that he would get to, quote, meet a celebrity, unquote, at a fundraiser in Philadelphia on September 22 of 2016. Prosecutors do not name the candidate, but as turns out, former President Donald Trump was hosting a fundraiser that night at the Ritz-Carlton in Center City, Philadelphia. The Russian national attended the fundraiser, according to the indictment. His travel to the U.S. facilitated by an alleged co-conspirator by the name of Roy Douglas Weed, described here as a conservative author, but better known, uh, at least to Fox News viewers and maybe even broadcast listeners, as Doug Weed. He's a regular on right-wing news outlets in recent years, but he was a guest on this program, I think, two or three times some years ago. Many years ago. Uh, as, a, as a GOP presidential historian. But as I've noticed over the years, uh, he, he is one who has become more and more of a loony right winger who would appear with Lou Dobbs uh, before he got fired by Fox anyway, Dobbs. Uh, and he would show up on Newsmax, etc. Again, he did not seem crazy on this show. He seemed rather normal and informative with a vast knowledge of uh, you know, presidential history and, and uh, political uh, uh, campaign conventions and so forth. I think that's what we talked to him about. Anyway, uh, he was indicted as well. Uh, all three, Benton, Weed, and the Russian national had official photographs taken with political candidate one, according to prosecutors. I wonder who political candidate one was. Could mm -hmm. he be the one that pardoned Jesse Benton for a different crime before leaving office? I'll get there in a moment. The two, Benton and Weed, are accused of falsely portraying the illegal contribution as payment for, quote, consulting work, of course. Benton, that slime ball, kept most of the money himself. <laughs> he kept $75,000 of it, according to the indictment. 
The rest he donated to the politician, politician number one. It was donated to that uh, politician, obviously Trump, uh, in Benton's name as if he had given it. That would be an illegal straw donation from a foreign Russian national in an American election. By the way, had any of this been reversed and say that was uh, something that happened uh, with Hillary, somebody working for Hillary Clinton's campaign, we would be hearing about this story day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute on Fox News four years from now. Years and years. But as it happened, you know, to a Republican, most people listening probably haven't even heard this story around the same uh, time uh, that uh, Benton was uh, giving 75. Well, keeping 75,000 and straw donations around that same time, Benton, uh, who managed Rand Paul's 2010 run for office, as well as the 2014 campaign of yet another Kentucky Republican by the name of Senator Mitch McConnell around that same time. Benton, very close to Paul, very close to McConnell, was convicted of campaign finance fraud over his role in the 2012 Ron Paul presidential campaign. He was sentenced just days before the Philadelphia fundraiser to two years probation, and he was ordered to pay a $10,000 fine. Why? Well, because he helped raise some $75,000 to pay off someone in Iowa who had endorsed then-presidential candidate Michelle Bachman's presidential campaign paid the guy off to rescind his endorsement of Bachman and flip to Ron Paul instead. Neat, huh? Hell of a guy. But in case you were worried about him, just before leaving office, Donald Trump pardoned that guy, Jesse Benton, for that election fraud crime because, as you know, Donald Trump is very, very worried about massive election fraud in this country, right? So, yeah, Jesse Benton got pardoned the first time. I'll, I doubt he'll get that deal again. Neither will Doug Weed, unless Trump can find his way back into the White House then, of course, all bets are off. If convicted in this case, Benton and Weed could face significant prison time with each of the six counts against them carrying a sentence of five to 20 years behind bars. Maybe I should have more right-wingers on this show. <laughs> it's almost a guarantee that they'll end up in jail shortly thereafter. All right, Green News Report is next. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Jailbait, otherwise known as the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay. As noted earlier, news breaking after we laid down today's Green News report from 
President Biden that, in fact, the U.S. would be stopping all imports of Russian gas and oil. That occurred after our GNR. And so let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. We have to ensure that they don't generate unmanageable risks to energy supplies in European countries and beyond. EU moves to cut dependence on Russian gas imports. The plant spokesman warned of a real threat of nuclear danger from the attack. Russian takeover of Ukraine nuclear plant underscores nuclear vulnerability in wartime. Plus... Cheers erupted at the United Nations Environment Assembly in Nairobi as 175 nations agreed to clean up the mess. United Nations to create legally binding treaty to end global plastic pollution. I'll believe it when I see it. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Actually, I see no inconsistency by the way, uh, in moving away uh, from dependency on, uh, on Russian hydrocarbons to moving away from dependency on, on hydrocarbons altogether. All well, neither do I, Boris Johnson. Nice to hear from a non-insane conservative. Sad how they went extinct in the U.S. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, as I understood it, everything was now okay, at least the danger passed at that nuclear power plant that was under fire in Ukraine. You got an update? Yes, we do. In the wake of the Russian military's harrowing attack on Ukraine's largest nuclear power plant late last week, the International Atomic Energy Agency says it is still negotiating with Russia to allow in experts to help manage the safety of all of Ukraine's nuclear power facilities. Although no radiation releases were detected in that initial attack, the director general of the IAEA on Monday said that Russia's military assault on the power plant destroyed a small neutron generator in a building on the grounds in violation of international protection rules. Again, no radiation was released, but it was a serious, serious fire. The incident has triggered global alarm about the vulnerabilities of nuclear plants to wartime attacks. Meanwhile, benchmark oil prices are surging as traders react to the growing prospect of Western sanctions on Russian oil and gas exports that indirectly fund Russia's invasion of Ukraine. React or capitalize on? A bipartisan group of lawmakers in Congress say they've agreed on legislation that would bar Russian oil imports to the U.S., even though it would further spike gasoline prices. But European Union governments, dependent on Russia for about a third of their energy needs... Probably. Probably not a good idea. On Tuesday, announced a plan to cut their reliance on Russian gas two-thirds by the end of this year. In a Monday press conference, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson cautioned that a full phase-out will take time, but it is the goal. You can't simply close down uh, use of, uh, of oil and gas uh, overnight. Clearly, there is going to be a transitional period. We're going to have to look for supply. We're going to have to look for substitute uh, supplies 
uh, from elsewhere, and we're going to have to do it uh, together. The UN International Energy Agency released a 10-point plan this week to cut Europe's dependence on Russian gas imports by about a third over the coming year. And they would do that by speeding up the replacement of gas-fired boilers with next-generation electric heat pumps, as Norway has done. The IEA projects that if the U.S. and other countries did the same, the more heat pumps that are installed year after year would increase the global supply of gas and displace Russian exports. Moving from boilers to heat pumps can cut gas usage by a third? Because they're all electric. We should all do that. Indeed. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on Monday debunked attempts by Republicans, the American Petroleum Institute, and right-wing media to exploit the war in Ukraine for political purposes in demanding the release of more public lands for drilling and weaker regulations. Psaki said that federal policies are not preventing the oil and gas industry from increasing production right now on their existing stockpile of approved permits, but that transitioning away from fossil fuels is the smart strategy. Right now, there are 9,000 unused approved permits to drill onshore. So I think you're misidentifying what the actual issue is. But if we're looking to the future and what we can do to prevent this from being a challenge in future crises, the best thing we can do is reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and foreign oil so that we're not worried about the whims of a foreign dictator. Finally, some good news. The United Nations Environment Assembly late last week adopted an historic resolution aimed at ending the scourge of plastic pollution. They agreed to a framework to develop the world's first ever legally binding treaty to address the global plastic pollution problem due by the end of 2024. The new treaty would restrict the explosive growth of plastic pollution and its impacts over the entire plastics life cycle, from design to production to disposal. But there is a divide between major plastics producers like the fossil fuel industry who want governments to focus on waste management and recycling. Of course. While the European Union and developing nations are aiming to reduce plastic production itself. Good. Let's go with that one. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Clean up. Clean up, girls and boys, let's clean up, clean up. Yep. Let's do clean it. Clean up, let's help put tough things away. Yes, let's. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yeah. Boy, uh, what a day we have to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Everything that we do here is made possible by those of you listeners who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue. Thank you. Drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. We'll see you there until we see you here tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. That's right. Let's clean up. Clean up. Help put our beans away.